The strongest place for a Christian to be is weak. The strongest place for a Christian to be is weak. Because it's there in our weakness the power of God is displayed. When the Apostle Paul had this weakness, this thorn in his flesh, and he prayed that God would take it away, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. The Apostle Paul then said, then I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may be seen through me. The strongest place for a Christian is when they're weak. That has the greatest testimony, the greatest faith-building exercise, the greatest thing to sanctify us, to draw us to God is our weakness. And that's quite countercultural. We want to be strong. Everything's about building yourself up so that you have self-esteem so you're strong, you have a good self-image, you're strong healthy, you're strong financially, you're strong in everything. There's nothing wrong with being healthy and having good strength. But it is in our weaknesses that God and his power is displayed. At the end of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul bursts forth into a song of praise. He bursts into this song of praise. If you look at Romans chapter 16, the very end, verses 25 through 27, and you see his final cry. The very last line is he says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore. Through Jesus Christ, amen. That's his final cry out, is to God be glory. He just has come through this entire letter to this church at Rome, showing them their human weakness and frailty, showing them their utter inabilities, but showing the strength and the power of God Almighty. And he ends this book in a song of praise. Because he's just, and even in this chapter, he's highlighted some of the people who are strong in their faith, who God is producing fruit through. But then he gives warning to all, there's going to be those who are dangerous. And then he goes on to commend your faith of the, the Romans. And here at the end, he says this. Look at your Bibles, Romans 16, 25 through 27 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept for secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory. Forevermore, through Jesus Christ. Amen. It begins there at verse 25 in Paul's doxology, his, his bursting forth of praise with, Now to him who is able to strengthen you. He who is able is a common thread through the Bible. The Bible constantly shows us what God is able to do. And it often uses even those terms, that language. God is able. He's able to save. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. 
since he always lives to intercede for them, he's able to save. 2 Timothy 1.12, he's able to guard or keep. says, but I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. He is able to guard. He's able to make grace overflow. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God is able to help in temptation. Hebrews 2 verse 18. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. He's able to protect you and make you stand. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and great joy, he's able to keep you. And he's able to do far more than even just those few things. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that he works in us. He's able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. He is able. So now, it here says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you. We have to note something very carefully, that when we are reading our Bible or, or hearing uh, the word preached, that we, uh, of course, we want to have a list of things to do. Right? We always want to say, okay, what can I do from this text? Give me the things that I'm to uh, pursue and pray for. That's what we want from the Bible so that we can apply it to our lives, right? Whether it's in the text directly or whether it's you know, exemplified for us, we say, what can I do based on what I've just read? What I've just heard? What can I do? Because we know that we are doers of the word. We're supposed to be doers. And so we, wanna, we want to know, what can I do? What's this text say that I can do? Does this text say, be strong? Go and be strong. Go and strengthen yourself. Go and make sure you have it all together. No, it says, to God who is able to strengthen you. Not about you being strong. You go and strengthen yourself. But instead, God... The subject is not you and it's not me. It's not the Roman Christians. The subject is God. This text is about God. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, he is able to strengthen. And that's a great relief. A great relief. A, a truth that deserves our response, gratitude and praise. Gratitude and praise just like all the other things, how God is able to save and, and keep us and do far more than we can ever ask or imagine, deserves praise and gratitude. We note that we need his strength to do all of these things. I, cannot, I don't have the strength or the ability to save myself. I don't have the ability to, to keep myself from temptation. It's me who's tempted. I don't have the ability to keep myself to the day of redemption. I don't have the ability to strengthen myself. So it's a relief that it is God who is able 
No, not God might. We hope God can. No, God is able to strengthen you. But the strength is not just in general here in this text. Can God strengthen your weak back? Yes. Can he strengthen you physically, emotionally, mentally? Yes, and he does. He, he most definitely does those things. But here in this doxology, in this expression of praise to God, the strength that he provides is specific. Let's take a look very carefully at this text and really see uh, what he's saying. Because Paul often does this when he bursts forth into praise. He often rambles. He'll get off on a little bunny trail and then come back to the point. And it's all good. And it's good if you slow down and, and take it piece by piece. But if you just read through this quickly, you might miss the, the, the actual connection because he breaks up his sentences on rambles. So let's take a look, slow down and look at what he is saying here. The very beginning, now to him, and then verse 27, to the only wise God. Now to him what? Verse 25 begins, now to him who is able. So there's one attribute of God, one ability of God, he's able. And then the second is that he is the only wise God. And to him belongs something. Paul's saying in his praise and in his, his adoration, in his song of praise, to God be something. And we only get the be at the very end. So we sometimes get lost in the rambles. Now to him who is able, verse 27, the only wise God be glory forevermore. That's the goal. To God be the glory, be the affection, be the admiration, be the allegiance, be the gratitude, the life of sacrifice. To God, those things belong. To him be the renown in all the world that his name would be proclaimed in every household and that they would also bow before him and say, you are wonderful. To God belongs this glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now to him who is able, the only wise God be glory. But then he goes on and he says what God is able to do, he's able to strengthen. And then he kind of gives how God does it. And he shows examples, even as he's kind of summarizing what he's set forth in the book of Romans. He's setting forth examples. And then not only is the end goal this glory of God, to God belongs glory, but there's also something else in there. End of verse 26. God is doing all these things to be able to bring about the obedience of faith in you, in the Roman Christians, and namely, here he's speaking of the Gentiles. God brought about the obedience of the faith. And he did it through these different means. To him, this is the God that strengthens to do these things. He is providing strength specifically to the obedience of faith. That's where the strength is applied. He is able to strengthen you to bring about the obedience of faith. We can often just miss that if we just read all of verse 25 and all of verse 26 and forget that the end of verse 26 is actually what he's able to strengthen us to. Read it like this. Verse 25. Now to him who's able to strengthen you, end of verse 26, to bring about the obedience of faith. He's able to strengthen you in the faith and in your obedience. 
We know that those who obey Jesus himself said, I don't know those who are my disciples or those who obey me. Those who are uh, staying firm in the faith, Colossians chapter 1. Those who are mine. Those are the ones who will bring glory forevermore to my name. So he's got this ultimate goal is the obedience of our faith. And again, who does it? Is it me? No. God is able to strengthen. We are recipients of the strength that we need that is necessary for us to obey in faith, to walk by faith, to live by faith, to express faith in God, to trust God. That takes strength. But that strength is from the Lord. And so I'm thankful for that. It's a relief because just like I don't have the power to save myself or to guard myself or to keep myself until the day of redemption, I most certainly don't have the strength uh, for my faith that I need every day. I don't have it. So it's a relief to read that it is God who is able to strengthen me to bring about the obedience of faith. God is able to do that. And to him belongs Glory for that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He will strengthen you to the end. And that strength isn't necessarily bodily strength. We know that. Scripture says our bodies waste away as our inward spirit is renewed day by day. There's inner strength. Well, where is it from? But Him. That relationship with Him, that connection to Him through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, how does it happen? How does that come about? And here's where Paul, in his bursting forth of praise, is even praising the methods that God uses. Here he says, look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So Paul's not being possessive of his gospel, saying, well, there's my gospel, then there's Apollos' gospel. But what he's saying is the true gospel, the gospel I have embraced, the gospel I have taught you through this book. The gospel not to depart from. He says, God's able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Well, that gospel's beautiful because that gospel is is a gospel of weakness on our part. You cannot accept or embrace the gospel, the good news of Jesus, if you think you are strong. If you think that you have it all together. If you think that you have all that you need. The gospel will never be yours. That good news is not yours. It's good news for those who are broken. It's good news for those who are weak. Those who are frail. Those who say, I can't do this. My righteousness is not good enough. I am frail. I'm utterly spent. It's a gospel for the weak and the foolish of the world. It doesn't make sense in human terms. You'd think God would want to pick the strongest, smartest people. But he doesn't. He picks those, as, as it says, those who are weak and foolish in the world to shame the wise. Those who think they got it all figured out. And if I can just do these uh, 600 things and I think God will be pleased with me and I think I'll get to heaven. It's foolish, but it doesn't take those who are intellectually brilliant to understand the gospel because we have to understand our utter weakness before God, our utter inability to get into heaven on our own merits 
and just say, God, I, I have nothing in my hands to bring. So you cling to Christ. You cling to Christ. So this is the gospel. The gospel is of weakness. And you even think of the Lord Jesus. Think of his earthly life and, and how it ended. In human terms, in utter weakness, brokenness. What, what would seem to be to other people failure. But that's the way. That's the way that God had worked it for Christ. That's the way he works it for us. As Jesus said, like, expect that. Like, do you expect to be better than Jesus? To have an easier ride than Jesus? We do have. But why would we expect that? Weakness is the way. Uh, J.I. Packer, a great theologian, wrote a book called Weakness is the Way. Just examining the life of Christ and the, the life of the early believers and really what it is for us to be as Christians is to be daily dependent, daily weak, coming to God and, and trusting in Him. That's what it means to be a Christian, dependent on our Father for all that we have. That's a good way to be. And that's the part of the message of the gospel is that you can't come if you're strong. Because you won't come if you're strong. You don't need a weak Savior hanging on a cross who's died. The weak come and they say he is beyond all measure. Strong and lovely and altogether good. And what he did was the most powerful thing that could ever happen. Is He defeated hell, death, and the grave there. The power that was displayed at the cross. That's why Paul, early on in, in chapter 1 of Romans, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. I'm not ashamed. Chapter 1, verse 16. Because it's the power of God, this gospel. A gospel where we are weak and He is gracious. He is merciful and powerful. So he says, Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... According to the preaching of Jesus Christ, it's not just a, a message of you know, feel good about yourself or, or find some strength within yourself or be the better you. It's not that message. It's a message of preaching Christ. And, and then when Paul says preaching Christ, he means preaching Christ crucified and resurrected. He doesn't just mean, you know, this powerful king on a, on a horse. He means Christ who came and suffered and died but has risen again. It says, God is able to strengthen you according to this gospel, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. It carries on, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept for secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. What's that secret that was kept for long ages? Was it just Jesus? Well, no, that wasn't a secret. The fact that a Messiah was coming was not a secret. The, the, the secret, the mystery here is, is Christ in the Gentiles. The Messiah for the Gentiles, for the nations. That was mysterious. The, the, the uh, Israelites didn't really understand the Abrahamic uh, covenant, the promise made to Abraham that he'd be the father of all nations. They didn't understand that. And so that was kind of the mystery that was hidden for ages, but has now been revealed. Christ has revealed it. Christ has come and he has given Paul specifically to be the apostle of the Gentiles. And so he says, this is the way, this is the, the message. It is a message of Hope and forgiveness and grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for all who would come. Romans chapter 10, it says, all who would call upon the name of the Lord, Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, all who would call upon the name of the Lord, if they would call on him, 
They would bear their sin and, and throw it on him and say, you have borne this for me. All, doesn't matter. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the mystery that has now been revealed and now produces obedience of faith. Carries on in verse 26. But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Romans chapter 1, in the opening of this book, he says, Romans 1 verse 5, through whom, Jesus, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring the obedience of the faith. Same words. The obedience of the faith. To bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all nations. It echoes exactly how he began the letter and he finishes the letter. All nations. The glory of God's name. The obedience of faith. It was there at the beginning and it's here at the end. And Paul is praising God for what he has done. Right? He he, he is laid out all that God has done in salvation history. And, and then here to specifically this Roman church, he says, look, praise him. Praise him, the one who was able to strengthen you and, and, and open your eyes and, and make this mystery now seen even in your midst. You have seen all the nations are here gathered. All those from different ethical back, uh, ethnic backgrounds are here. And he's giving praise for that to God Belongs glory for this. It was his strength that accomplished this. So he bursts forth in this, at the very end of his letter, he's like, God, you've done it. You've done it. All that has been unpacked, he says, you have done it and you deserve glory for that. You deserve praise and adoration for that. That's why Paul has never been ashamed of this gospel, for it was the power of saved. But this gospel... And this letter, he says, actually, in chapter 1, where he says, just after he says he's not ashamed of the gospel, he goes on to say what this gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Sir, I'll read 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in this gospel, for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed. God's righteousness. Not our righteousness. Not your ability to do what is good today and hopefully tomorrow. But God's righteousness. How he's always right in everything that he does. And and how Jesus himself was righteous in a moral sense even. His righteousness is revealed in this gospel. Everything that he did in it was right and good. So at the end of his letter, he comes to this time where he bursts into praise to God who is able to strengthen you, to bring about the obedience of faith, even you. And and you ought to wonder that sometimes, right? And and if you ever think, "Why, why did I ever believe? Like, why did God... Come into my heart. Why did God come to me? 
Why did God chisel away at my hardness? Like, I know so many nice people who don't, don't even believe in Jesus. Why me? Why would he forgive me so that I may go to heaven and have joy and pleasure forevermore? Why me? Why do I get to be in his presence forever? Why did I obey his command to repent and believe the gospel? Why? So it produces praise and adoration, produces glory and affection. Produces allegiance to him, the God who is able, and the God who is the only wise God. He deserves the glory forevermore. And you know this text is not about us. Sometimes we seem to think that the Bible is about us. We seem to look at every passage and wonder, well, where am I? This text is about God. To him it begins. To him. He is able, he is wise, and he deserves glory. Not just in the moment of your conversion, not just when you first come to faith in Jesus, where does he get glory indeed, but forevermore, he deserves glory. Through Jesus Christ, he deserves glory now and forever, and he will get it forever. He's getting glory day in and day out, and we will sing his praises and give him the adoration and affection, and I cannot wait to glorify him face to face. That will be unhindered by sin and selfish motivation. It will be unhindered by concerns of the world and worries. The, the glory that God will get one day is going to be beautiful. The, the glory he gets now from some saints who have gone before is beautiful. Forevermore. But the beautiful thing is, here as you read this text, God gets the glory, but we also benefit. We benefit, don't we? We benefit from his strength and his wisdom, the way in which he has worked in our lives to bring us to this obedience of faith. Any obeying that we will do is from a gift from God. It is a spiritual fruit, something that he is nourishing in us and working in us. And so, where are we? We are the ones who are recipients. We are the ones who are weak so that his power can be strong. Weakness is the strongest Christian attribute. It produces faith. It produces glory of God. I'm going to quote again from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul asked for that thorn in the flesh to be gone. And, and God, he said, take this, take this thorn away from me. Take my weakness. I want to be strong. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, therefore, because that's true, because God's power is made perfect and it's displayed in my weaknesses, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And people may see that. See that it is not my strength and, and, and Paul's strength why he's uh, obeying in the gospel. Why he does what he does. Why he sacrifices so much and why he ministers the gospel to the nations. He says, I'm weak, remember? But the power of God's on display in me. And that's why I love when, when people share testimonies that's centered around what God has done in their life, in the past, in the present, and what we pray that he would do in the future. But it's, it's a display of God in our life and his power in our life. Because that's what we need, right? Because if I just put up myself on display as a strong person 
and I had the ability, and I was smart, and that's why I got it, and you know, I was just generally an obedient person, that's why I obeyed God. Well, what hope does that give to another person who does not have a strong will, and who, who struggles with temptation after temptation? What hope does it give them? None. What hope does it give a person who says, well, I can't read three words without being confused? What hope does it give to them? None. But this gospel... This gospel, Paul says, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ is, is where God's power is displayed. That's why he gets glory forevermore. Because it's not about my abilities or my strength. It's all about my weakness. It's all about your weakness, but it's all about the power of God on display. Through Jesus Christ, he, that's how he ends. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. That's where the glory comes from, right? And we know that because that's why Satan tries to blind us from seeing, from seeing Jesus, right? That's what it says in, in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan tries to blind the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the face of Jesus. Why? Because it's in the face of Jesus that the glory of God shines. Because that's where the power is held in Jesus. We see it in Jesus. We are captivated by it in Jesus. And when we... Um, Become one with Jesus, there the power is displayed. So the enemy, Satan, doesn't want that. He doesn't want God's glory being seen and his power and majesty being noticed. So he tries to blind people from seeing the gospel. He tries to confuse them and think, well, you're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're never going to sort your life out. Jesus doesn't want you. The enemy tries to lie to people, to try to tell them it's about their strength, their intellect, their righteousness. It's a lie. It's about this gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, and, and the obedience of the faith, us trusting, trusting by faith alone in what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. So to him who is able to strengthen you, to him who is the only wise God, to him belongs glory, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. God, we often come to the text and we want, we want to be doers of your word. We want to obey. But we often don't spend enough time just praising you. Just giving you the glory. Just recognizing what you have done in this world. What you are doing in our lives. God, we want to give you glory for that. We want to worship you for that. We want to have our hearts stirred. So we pray that you would stir us even now to give you honor and glory, to have hearts full of gratitude for what you have done, to, to give you um, our hearts attention because of who you are, and to just be left awestruck and in wonder at your ability to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine in our lives, but here even so to bring us to the obedience of faith, those of us who are weak and frail and who have trust issues and who trust our own selves. God, we thank you that you have done all these things. We want to be people filled with gratitude. Would you help us, each one of us, those who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, who have realized our weakness and realized the only way for forgiveness is through weakness, our weakness, our emptiness, but through the power of Christ. Thank you for him and all that he's done. In Christ's name.